This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. It's so great to be here with another inspirational story from a woman who's a leader in her field. Joining me in just a moment will be Kathy Bloomgarden. Kathy is the CEO of Ruder Finn which is a global PR and creative agency that was actually founded by her dad in 1948. So it has quite a legacy. Um, Later in the show, you'll hear from our Lifestyle Watch contributor, Sherry Marson. And Sherry's going to be profiling Charlotte Alston, who is a master storyteller um, from across the nation, uh, but local here. And we're very excited to hear her story as well. Uh, so now I'm very honored and, and excited to welcome to the show, Kathy Bloomgarden. Kathy, thanks for being here. Sue, it's great to be um, here with you and talking to your audience. And I know that you really inspire everyone with the with the podcast that you do. So I'm honored to be um, one of your conversant partners today. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And tell me, I know you're traveling. Where are you today? So today I'm in California and oh, okay. um, everyone seems to be getting back to traveling again, which I, I think is, you know, interesting, but, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a change, right? So from it what we've is. been doing for the for three years. Yeah, I think it's a little more stressful than it used to be. Um, but hopefully the further we get away from, you know, the pandemic, um, the more we'll be able to adjust to all the new changes. Definitely. Yeah. So um, back in the swing of things and and it's thankfully because it's nice to be talking to people face to face again after such a long time. It is. Um, So listen, you know, a big part of your story is obviously your um, your dad starting this company. And um, I first want to, you know, again, send my condolences. I know that your dad passed away just a year ago. He was a hundred. I think that speaks a lot to his, um, I, I would say his, you know, choosing to continue to to work and move forward and live life. Um, and I guess my first question is, how has it been this past year without him, without having his mm-hmm. presence around you? 
Well, so you're right that he he never even thought about retiring. Um, he was always, you know, learning and doing things and um, talking to young people in our in our agency. Um, so he was very much a presence, and um, people loved to you know just chat with him. He, being one of the founders of the field of communication, Ritter Finn was one of the first PR agencies in the world. So people really enjoyed um, the fact that he would wander down the hall and you know, stop by a young person's desk and talk with them. But, you know, what he left us was actually a, a very strong culture. And, you know, this is the agency uh, is a family business. And, you know, we have that feeling towards each other um, that we really have a, a, a culture of caring, of really helping people to realize their potential, of staying in touch. And it, it really even had deeper meaning um, during the pandemic time when we couldn't be together, that people just asking each other, how are they doing? And being sensitive to the family needs and other um, things that came up for everyone during the course of these past months. So my dad not being here still left this very strong footprint and very strong legacy um, in terms of culture, in terms of creative thinking. He was a very, very creative person. He never was doing only one thing. Um, he had a he had an amazing um, hobby, which you know he drew everyone in the agency into, which is creating paperclip sculptures. And what he would do is he would actually take a bag, you know, a little box of paper clips. And while he's talking to people in a meeting, he would be opening them up and twisting them into figures. And it was just really an expression of you know this great creative you know engine that was that really constituted him and, and we have in our agency we have paperclip sculptures you know in the different rooms and you know people just love to interact with him and so there's a very strong footprint that he left um, that really influences us. Did I read as well he used to photograph um, sculptures? So he actually uh, created uh, well he was an author of a hundred um, books. Um, and when I was first talking to a few people, they were like, a hundred, are you sure it's a hundred? And I, I sent them the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, he loved, he didn't ever really go on vacation. He went, um, he spent a lot of time in Italy, actually, um, where he was photographing on the streets or in the museums or in churches where he would find these beautiful sculptures. Sculpt photographing sculpture was really what he enjoyed most. Mm -hmm. um, and he even wrote a book called How to Look at Everything, you know, really reminding us that it's not just, you know, a fast look at something. You look deeper, you see new things, you really can uncover layers and layers of meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember a really funny story um, when I was with him as a teenager in Italy, and he just suddenly dived under a table in the museum. And I was like, oh, my God, where'd he go? And he's like, look at the legs of this sculptured table. It's unbelievable. And he was photographing the, the legs of the table, which turned out to be a Donatello uh, sculptured, uh, you know, very famous oh, wow. uh, artist, which he had yeah. noticed in just walking by. And many, many people, of course, would never, never stop to, to look at it. Um, so he was always a constant inspiration for something unexpected or, or something new. Yeah. And, um, and it seems as though he was ahead of his time as well. What traits do you believe you have from him? I mean, obviously we're going to talk about, you know, what, one of the things I find so fascinating is your educational background and what you're doing today, but I'm sure there are some traits that you inherited from him, um, that serve you well 
in your role. Absolutely. Well, he had a lot of, you know, famous sayings that he told me that stick in my mind forever. Um, One of the things he always said to me was, just because you haven't done something doesn't mean you can't. And, you know, all of us say, well, I'm not expert in that. That's not my area, you know, that I've, you know, I haven't had a lot of background. And in our agency, we really try to adopt this motto. In fact, we have it on the wall um, for people to be really bold thinkers and to really try, you know, really to stretch themselves and to try. And I always felt that way um, as a very important, like, you know, um, motto for me personally. And, you know, you mentioned my background. Well, I when I um, did join the agency, uh, one of the first things I asked to do was to uh, open our China offices. And everybody thought, what a crazy idea. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. There were no real PR agencies in China. You know, it was really not a market that was very dynamic at that time. And I was just so stubborn and I, I, you know, given my background and having studied Mandarin and and gotten a doctorate in political science, I wanted to merge these different parts of my life. And I and I wanted to try something that I felt nobody else had had actually done. Um, And so this motto of always thinking that, you know, you can do it, you know, it, it really was very embedded in for me and and also in our culture. And the second thing he always said to me is time is elastic. You know how we always say, oh, I'm too busy, or I can't get to that, or I can't take on another project. But he, he always said, you'll make time for the things that are important, because there is no set boundaries of time. Time is elastic. You can stretch it the way you want to. Yes. Um, and it was, you know, it, again, it always it was in my mind, it always is in my mind that that's absolutely a truth that I hold to. I think one of the things that um, is impressive and I'm sure is is a trait that you carry from him is um, developing a trust in others in him. So just so people know, he had some very worked with some very um, notable clients and um, uh, John D. Rockefeller, the third John F. Kennedy, Mm -hmm. um, just to name two big names. So. What do you believe was it that allowed him to d- develop that trust in people or what what did they see in him that they trusted his expertise? Well, first of all, he's a very good listener um, and communication people, you know, and especially in our world today, <laughs> listening is not something that, you know, we we necessarily are putting at the, the top of our priority list. And it's so important to, be, to building bridges and to helping, you know, re- really create dialogue. He was really all about creating dialogue and, you know, trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So whenever a company or, or you know, a well-known statesman would come to us with a problem that they needed to solve, he would always, you know, stop and try to put himself in someone else's place and try to understand, okay, what are the issues all surrounding us that are really influencing this discussion or this dialogue? How can I understand the opposition? How can I really, you know, find a bridge, find an area where we have a consensus, where our values meet, and then we can begin to talk together? Um, and I think, you know, I learned that I think it's so important for communication people to to really, you know, have that have that understanding and to really make that part of how they look at a problem, how they, you know, develop ideas and strategies. Um, because again, we see what happens when that falls apart. Then you have, you know, a polarized situation where you can't really 
move forward. So I think that the trust he built was really based on this idea of it's not just what he thought, it was how he really was able to listen, to find a way to build a bridge, to open a dialogue that really brings people together. Um, and and I think the last point is really this feeling of, of relationships. You know, for him, relationships with people were very important. Um, he worked for three um, administrations in the, of the you know, U.S. government. He we worked for the Vatican for 25 years. He worked for Kofi Annan over many, 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 many years because he really, you know, was there for them when they needed help. And it's really this personal commitment also that it's not just a project that I'm taking on or I'm delegating it to a team. It's because I want to help you. And I also retain that too, because this, this wonderful gift that we have in, in communication agencies of being able to problem solve and to help people is really motivating. It really makes you feel like you've accomplished something at the end of the day that you've really been able to to give someone an, a, you know a, some support and been, been able to help them solve a problem. Um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about your work with CEOs and um, kind of what your strategy is around helping them to develop their um their impact socially and their thought leadership, something that's really new today in the world that wasn't something that was addressed certainly when your dad started. Stay with us uh, for our watch team and I'll be back with Kathy Bloom Garden, CEO of Ruder Finn. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving you the tools and resources you need to succeed financially. Building wealth may seem like a daunting or distant goal, but just like most goals in personal finance, the earlier you start, the better. There's no right answer for everyone when it comes to what exactly to invest in. What securities you buy and how much you buy solely depends on your comfort level of how much risk you're willing to take. If the stock market is unfamiliar territory, but you're ready to take the leap, mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, known as ETFs, are an excellent stepping stone into the world of investing. A mutual fund allows you to allocate your funds based on your goals by investing a certain amount of savings each month. By setting up auto-debit from your savings to your mutual fund every month, you're bound to stay committed to your investment strategy. When you invest in an ETF, you're investing in a mix of stocks. Some may decrease in value while others increase, but the goal is ultimately to be steadily building an overall return. Just like a mutual fund, the risk is spread out across multiple companies. Investing is an excellent way to prepare for your future, whether it's buying a home, saving for your child's education, or setting yourself up for a worry-free retirement. Visit PennCommunityBank.com to learn more. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. What excites me is at CHOP, we are one of the leading children's hospitals in the world, and we have one of the very few research institutes totally dedicated to children. And with the talent that we have here, our sense of mission with research as our North Star, I think we have the opportunity to transform the medical care we deliver to children. I think we're on the cusp of many discoveries. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and you're watching Women to Watch. And I'm joined today by Kathy Bloomgarden. Kathy's the CEO of Ruderfin, which is a global PR and creative agency. Um, one of the things I think about, you know, when we talk about leadership is that today there's such a focus and importance around leaders, particularly in the C-suite, developing um, what I think you describe as authentic and visionary leadership. And I wanted to share this quote. You said, I think that most leaders would agree that one of the biggest challenges we face is following our own intuition. And so I wonder when you're working with these clients, how do you go about helping them find that, but at the same time be focusing on the things that they, they need to be doing that other companies are doing as well? So the first thing is that I think that um, I, this environment is probably one of the hardest environments today that CEOs actually face. Um, there's so much pressure on them, not just to do well in their business and to lead their companies, but much more. And they're expected to, to do much more. So I think, you know, there's been a bit of a, of a pivot in terms of what the CEO role is. And the first thing that we saw coming out of the pandemic or during the pandemic was this real need for um, empathy. You know, that wasn't always a great um, characteristic or something right. that people, you know, held as a highest priority for a great CEO. Um, right. You know, strong, strong leadership, being really tough, being, you know, performance driven. Look at the Jack Welch era. Of course, you know, um, he was seen as one of the great CEOs of all time. But things have changed. And now, you know, real empathy, um, being authentic, connecting with people, um, these are things that are really, really critical to leading an organization well today. So that's been a, that's been a really important shift. So this intuitive feeling is, you know, there is an emotional element of value and emotional element that I think is part of that, you know, paradigm of of really um, being intuitive about how you lead your organization. Um, I think the other, and, and I'm, I remember. Um, having a, a small uh, group discussion with one of the largest companies in the world, the CEO of one of the largest companies. And I asked him, how, how much time do you spend on, you know, internal versus external communications, understanding your customers being, you know, externally focused. And I knew this company was, was well known for being, you know, the best at customer insights, you know, really helping their organization spend their time externally um, and spending time understanding what customers' needs are and how they're changing. And he surprised me because he said, today, I spend more than half my time in internal and employee communication. Wow. And that's what's changed, you know. So yeah. I think this feeling, and we all know the uh, great resignation or the talent, you know, challenges we face. Um, that it, it's become more and more important that you really connect with your with your employees, that you create a culture that actually people can relate to. Um, and every company is different. So, you know, every leader is different. There's no formula um, for how to, how to be a great CEO today because it really does depend on the company you're leading, the kind of business you're in, the, your employee base. So I think that's, that's you know, one point. The second point is that people, you know, CEOs have, have felt pressures on societal issues of every kind, um, you know, and people are, you know, why didn't you talk up? Should you talk up? When should you talk up? Obviously, to be authentic, you don't talk up on every single 
topic at issue because that becomes then not seen, it's become a little bit disingenuous. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you create, um, you know, sort of an approach or a model which helps you in the pressures of the moment to decide when you talk up or how you when you would take a position on a particular issue. That's another thing that CEOs have to think about and have to kind of resolve uh, working with their um, leadership team, thinking about what does their business do? What is it that connects to our business? And what, what does the CEO personally feel, you know, intensely about? Um, so it's a whole complex of variables that, that, you know, create today's pressures. And you do see a lot more churn in the C-suite than we've seen in past years. Um, so I think that the uh, CEO um, role has, has definitely shifted. Do you think it's become um, easier for women? Because when we talk about the word empathy, I think naturally women are already connectors and relationship focused, right? And so um, the fact that we've now discovered society has learned that it's important, you know, to have good relationships with your employees and your clients that that would be embraced by women who are in leadership. I think I think women are recognized for um, being slightly more emotional in integrating their that into their leadership style, but of course it's a little hard to make generalizations because we do have some some tough women who are leading large yeah, companies, and always, we have yeah. some very empathetic guys who are who are equally um, you know sympathetic and and authentic in their voice. So, yes. I think people do recognize that women have a tendency to be a, a little bit more empathetic, but um, I do think that it's a learning for both both genders that this is something that they need to embrace. Yeah. Um, tell me what what has been one of your most cherished life lessons? So actually, I have the great um, opportunity to work with a lot of amazing leaders in different companies and different industries. And I learned something from everyone. And um, one of the great mentors that I had and have worked now for over 10 years is John Chambers, who was head of Cisco, chairman and CEO of Cisco. And he turned to me one day and he said, what is the worst thing you can do, Kathy? And I thought, oh my God, what's the worst thing I can do in my business? I guess not fix my mistakes, right? And he said, wrong. He said, doing the right thing for too long. <laughs> and oh. I was like, <laughs> I would never have. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details thought of that in a million years if it's right i usually feel i'm gonna leave it right um and i was like i always remember that it's a lesson that's very deeply embedded in in in, in now and everything i think about because you know I, I i think you have to constantly innovate 
if you don't innovate, if you get too comfortable, then, you know, as John always said, a company that doesn't change and innovate dies ultimately. So we started this um, something called a tech lab at Reader Finn in order to be able to be on top of this. And our tech lab, which is is headed by a wonderful, um, wonderful technology um, professional, is constantly looking at the innovation ecosystem around us. Like, what new tools are coming? What, how can we use analytics differently? You know, what great entrepreneurs in the innovation space should we be talking to? And then bringing in pilots and testing them. And I really try to help, you know, uh, train our, our people to think about the new tools, to use them, to try them, to experiment with them. And I think that's one of my most important lessons was, was really that wherever you are today um, is not going to be good enough for tomorrow. So you have to constantly push yourself to think, you know, in an innovative way and think about what you can change, alter and do better in anticipating, you know, kind of the what's next. So here's what I think is sometimes hard to balance. The, the company's mantra is what's next, right? Yes. And obviously you have done that in your career, expanding into to China and with the healthcare division. Um, how do you maintain that focus on what's next while at the same time, there's this conversation globally that we all need to live in the moment, <laughs> right? And be present and really, you know, um, just be mindful of the moments that we're in. Yeah, so another great learning from another great leader uh, was imagination with that execution is, you know, um, is a fantasy. So I think that you need both imagination and execution. So we have to drive our performance because, you know, we want people to feel part of a dynamic and great enterprise that's growing, that's taking on new assignments, that's breaking new grounds, that's a pioneer in our field. But at the same time, we can't, you know, just stay where we are. So we have to kind of look ahead of and see where, where we could be evolving or changing. Um, so you need to do both um, because otherwise, as, as that great saying, you know, or or as my client said, you know, you can have all the imagination in the world. It's like letting butterflies out of a net and you can't catch them. So yes. you need to, yeah, you need to really be sure that you're delivering and you have deli- your, your performance is strong and that you're focusing on the here and now, as you said, Sue. Yeah, you've had, and you do have some incredible clients um, and individuals. Is there someone that, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, you could work with someone that you've always wanted to um, bring on, perhaps as a, a new client? Oh, there's so many, you know, really. I mean, I'm inspired by the great innovations that are happening in healthcare. You know, this possibility with gene and cell therapies where, where we do have a lot of work, but that are going to really, you know, be cures. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of us have people who we love in our families who've gotten sick and, you know, perhaps it wasn't the right therapy. And just to think that, you know, really we're on the cusp of this really new era where, you know, you'll be able to cure um, certain kinds of cancers to really make a difference in terms of, you know, inherited rare diseases. These are things which are just it's a gift to be able to develop information and to share it, um, you know, when in such meaningful areas. Similarly, in technology, 
we know today every company is a technology company. Um, you know, we're all adopting new new technologies to be more efficient, to give people more more details of the things they're interested in, to have new purchasing and buying options, to be maybe a metaverse <laughs> participant, who knows? Um, yeah. So all these great things, it's wonderful, again, um, to be part of this changing world that we're living in and you know it's it we do feel and people always say that out of great chaos comes you know complete renaissance and great transformation so all of the problems we're having in terms of climate change and in terms of inflationary pressures in terms of pandemics i mean you couldn't make this novel up if you were right. to you know <laughs> from every corner we've got a problem coming our way and we can we really you know yeah, what looks like unsolvable, unsurmountable issues. And I really believe that we will innovate in a way that we have never innovated in the past, you know, a few decades, that we're at this moment where um, we, we really have the opportunity to change. And I, I'm really grateful that Ruderfin would play a part in communicating what some of these discoveries are. Do you ever feel anxious with the pace of life? And if you do, you know, what kind of grounds you? Yeah, I do, of course. I mean, I really feel that um, Friday comes along and I'm like, thank God it's Friday. It's like, <laughs> why am I saying this to myself? I shouldn't be saying this to myself. Um, yeah. But actually, I, I, I'm a big exercise nut and I swim a lot. I, I try to swim a mile a day. And I do Thanks. feel when I'm swimming, I feel this calm that I can like, mull over a problem that I can kind of reset and it really helps me to gain a calm a certain calm um that that you only can get from doing something like like a swimming you know get into the pace of of swimming for you know 50 minutes or so yeah well listen we're out of time and I'm so grateful that you took time to to be on the show and share a little bit about your life story and I wish you such continued success well, Sue, thank you. Thank you for asking me and thank you for everything you do in terms of sharing stories because it's so important and it's so inspiring. It is. It is. Thank you so much for saying that. Stay with us. And up next will be Sherry Mars. And for our Lifestyle Watch, and she'll be joined by master storyteller Charlotte Blake Alston. We'll be right back. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today, I have a very special guest, a master storyteller, narrator, and libertist. So everybody grab your milk and cookies and welcome to the show, Charlotte Blake Alston. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. I, I've been reading about you, listening to some of your work, and I just, it's so much fun. I'm learning so much. Um, Charlotte has a gift in her voice. It's powerful, rich, encompassing. It has a cadence that draws you in. I've listened to quite a few of her performances. They are transcendental. I close my eyes. I float off into my imagination like a cartoon character lifted from the ground following the wafting smell of something luscious. And But before we get into the story of your storytelling, please tell us a little bit about where you're from and your education. Well, I often like to say that I am Philly born, Philly bred, and when I die, I'll be Philly dead. <laughs> That's great. I 
grew up in South Philadelphia, uh, raised my kid in West Philadelphia, and I'm just a few stones throw away uh, uh, here in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. But yes, I grew up in Philadelphia, went to uh, public schools uh, in Philadelphia, and then uh, attended an HBCU, Cheney University, in the good old 1960s. Wow, that's great. Well, you do have this magical power of drawing people in when you tell a story. How and when did this start? I think it was, you know, kind of a, a gradual incremental process. I think it's a combination of things. One was uh, the seeds for what I'm doing now were really planted by my father, uh, who was outnumbered in our house by musicians. And uh, he could not carry a tune from the living room to the dining room, but he had a passion for language and literature and uh, kind of began to nurture me when I was very young uh, in, in oral speaking. Um, and so some of the, he wrote some uh, monologues for me to do. He would coach me and how to convey those, uh, the cadence of it, all of those things. And, but I think also the experiences that I had early on in my teaching career, working with our, our youngest students from pre-K to second grade, I've taught pre-K through graduate school, with our youngest ones who are developing language, language skills, that I would begin to incorporate storytelling in my classroom uh, in a range of ways. So it, I think it was a combination. This was all before I had any thoughts in my head about stepping onto this as my life's work or my life's path. And then certainly when I did, I had the opportunity to uh, be among other people who were applying their trade as uh, uh, storytellers and to learn from them as well. And at, over time, I think, as a friend of mine put it, I came into my voice, uh, I came into myself over time. Well, that's a great way to put it. I mean, your father did a magnificent job um, at planting that seed. Um, you, you went on to earn a degree in teaching and taught in Philadelphia for 20 years. Uh, you were with Friends Select for 10 of those 20 years. And you also taught part-time at Penn. Yes. Uh, what happened in that time? What made you realize you wanted to make a change? Um, early, when I left high school, I, what I wanted to do really was to go to New York and sit at the feet of Alvin Ailey. And I, I was a three-sport athlete. I was a dancer. And dance to me was another form of, of athletic expression, but done artfully so that you could defy gravity for a moment in time and make it look effortless. That was like a high for me. So that's what I wanted to do. And my dad <laughs> kind of said, um, no young girl in her right mind would go to New York, first of all, the city of sin, and pursue something, as he put it, as frivolous as dance. You know, you go to college, you get a degree, and you get a real job. So I watched people like my idol, Judith Jamison, uh, not be in her right mind, travel all over the world. But I think that internal desire to fulfill myself artistically never left. And finally, I think it was, uh, I was, I'm giving away a little bit of my age here, but I, I was 41 at the time. My brother had also set uh, a, an example, a model um, for me without knowing it. He um, taught strings in public school for one year and said, this is not for me. I'm going to survive on my art. And uh, began to develop his skills uh, on both piano and violin, but eventually became one of the, the greatest, you know, best known jazz violinists in the world. So he had kind of set that model for me initially. Um, but there was just this increasingly intense internal restlessness 
to explore another aspect of who I was. And the realization hit me at 41 that I had probably lived over half my life already. And what did I wanna do with the, with the rest of it? Longevity is not guaranteed. Health is not guaranteed. Uh, at the time we had a mother who had been active in her church, active in the community and began to make her descent into dementia. So that's something we would never have expected, particularly for her. But, um, but it just, it just reminded me that, that tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. So I'm here right now. I have this set of abilities and affinities and yearnings and desires and gifts. Uh, I thought even if you believe in reincarnation, you could come back as a moose. So uh, I'm here now. Um, and what do I want to do with the remaining time that I have? That was my thinking at that time. And I, I, just, I just stepped out. I did not take a sabbatical. I didn't say I'm going to take a half a year off. Mm -hmm. I, I just left. And I thought the worst that can possibly happen is it won't work. And, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'll decide what I want to do or, you know, fall back on my degree. Um, but I didn't want to wait until I was 65 or 70 and look back and wonder if I could make it work. Also, a new word began to enter the American lexicon at that time. And that word was downsizing. So all of these folks who had spent thousands of dollars in tuition at the Wharton School were having their positions eliminated in corporate America. So that just reiterated once again for me that nothing is guaranteed, even a salaried uh, job. I remember my great aunt said, you can leave that, you can leave that good job with all those benefits. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I heard that song. <laughs> you live through the depression, you know? Um, I prayed literally there'd be a net if I fell and the net turned into a catapult. And I, it, it was almost as, as sort of hokey as it might sound. It was almost as though I was walking in one direction. And then as soon as I turned, all of a sudden, click, 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 all these doors began to open for me. And I was able, I remember when my car broke down, I, I drove pieces of, of junk for many years. And I was the U-turn queen of West Philadelphia. And I did a U-turn once and my car stopped in the middle of the street. It shut off. Some guys had to come and push it to the side. But I remember calling my brother and said, take me to a car dealership and leave me there. And I came <laughs> with this new car and I called a friend and I said, I just got this new car. I've, I've left my job. I'm just stepping out on this. Path. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And she said, claim it. Claim it. You need a dependable car to do what you are about to do. I said, okay. Um, I never missed a car payment. So every time I needed a door to open for me financially, it did. And I didn't seek it out. It often came to me. So I think we often look at risk as a negative in our culture. But I think we need to lay that to rest, um, yeah. that, that the world is open to you. And I often tell young people, you know, you are the only you who has ever existed on the planet before. So this is the time that you have. You've been given this gift of life and being here. And you've come in with gifts. So this is the time for you to nurture those and see what it is you can offer to the world as well. So that's, yeah. that was the motivation behind it. That, that I, I, but I have to tell you, I still get pangs if I go to see a dance company. <laughs> you're up well, you, can, you can go see them all the time now and you're, you're in the right venues to <laughs> be able to do that. So what do you think it is about storytelling that's so special? What do you think it brings to our world and the community and our culture? 
Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's arguably uh, the oldest art form in existence as human beings began to develop language um, and ways of communicating orally. They began to tell stories. The hunters would go off on the hunt, come back with the meat for the entire village or community, and then they would retell the story of the hunt. Everyone would gather around to hear that story and be told in spoken word. They might dance a part of that story as well. So it's probably the oldest art form in existence as people looked around in the early days of the world and saw the sun and the moon, rivers, oceans, people, animals. They were awed by these things and created stories to offer some kind of a thought or stimulate conversation about how these things came into existence and their place in that environment, that there was something much bigger and greater um, than themselves. Stories were often used to um, continue to teach children or re and adults as well and reinforce those shared values in a community to remind people of their behaviors and their interactions with one another. As people migrated from one part of the world to another, they took their stories with them. Uh, people would hear those stories. They might change them just a little bit to fit their particular cultural context, but the essence of the story still remains the same. And essentially for me, those stories, um, and particularly the traditional ones that have been passed down, embody the collective wisdom of mankind. Um, they speak to human interaction, human foibles, human strengths, human suffering, human dilemmas, decisions that we have to make, uh, good versus evil, sometimes multi-layered complex issues that are not easy to solve. There's a whole collection of stories in West Africa that are known as dilemma tales that the storyteller doesn't give the resolution. It's left to the, the listeners to discuss uh, and talk about. Charlotte, I'm sorry we're out of time. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us today and sharing your story. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. For more information about Charlotte, her performances, past, present, and future, go to www.charlotteblakealston.com. Sue will be right back after the break to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. So there are many, many different rare diseases that are under that umbrella term vascular anomalies. And they were mainly treated with surgery and intervention. So we can now use drugs that we use in cancer, but we don't need to use them at as high of a dose. We need more information on why these medicines are working and will they work for every phenotype of a vascular anomaly? So many, many questions that are still left unanswered. Now the women to watch, military watch. 2022 is the first year in the last two decades U.S. service members weren't deployed in support of a major theater of operations overseas. However, we can't forget that thousands of men and women in uniform are deployed worldwide still. Because their service never stops, ours won't either. Hi, I'm Sean Casey with Comcast NBC Universal Military and Veteran Affairs. This Tuesday, November 1st, begins National Veterans and Military Families Month, where our nation celebrates the service of those who wore the uniform and the sacrifices of those who stood by their side. At Comcast NBC Universal, military engagement is part of our DNA, and we're excited to host events honoring our military-connected employees and showcasing how we're helping build a future of unlimited possibilities for military customers and community partners. 
Since 2015, we've hired over 19,000 veterans, National Guard and Reserve Service members, and military spouses. Since 2011, we've provided over $197 million in giving to military community-serving organizations. And through several of our Project Up initiatives, we've helped connect thousands of veterans and military families to the Internet. We're a proud military company, but we get so much more in return. Our workplaces are energized by the spirit and commitment of military-connected teammates. We witness lives changing for the better through the community partners we support. It's all a part of who we are as a company, starting with our founder, Ralph Roberts, a World War II veteran. If you're interested in showing your support for and connecting with those who served and their families, check out veteran-serving organizations in your local area throughout the month. Hi, welcome back. Thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that segment with Charlotte as much as I did. Um, Next week, I will be joined by Tracy Gee. Tracy is the CPO of the National Association of Corporate Directors in Washington, D.C. Big thank you to Tone and Sherry and all of our sponsors. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Go Phillies! Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.